Re is a podcast brought to you by New Heights Church, a church located in Mission, BC, focused on being church with mission in mind. We acknowledge that we gather, live, play, and worship on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Stolo First Nation. We are your hosts, Greg Elford and Jess Stefik, and this is the Re Podcast. The prefix that hopes for more than we had before. It's funny how the holiday season, on the one hand, can seem like a time that's guaranteed to be rich with joy and festive celebration, and yet, on the other hand, be a source for real mental unrest. Those who experience the reality of mental health struggle know that expectations of peaceful and harmonious time and space are not always realistic. In reality, expectations can produce pressure that perpetuates inner struggles and mental health triggers. This holiday season, we are grateful to two friends for opening up their stories and their journeys with us. First, we talked to Tim Ellison and listened to his story of progression from different patterns of destructive thinking to a conscious awareness through a mental health diagnosis. Tim is a well-read and thoughtful friend who opens up his discoveries and invites us to consider the importance of knowing ourselves and our own thought patterns. Well, hey, Tim, we are pumped to have you with us here at the Repodcast. It's, uh, it's always fun when I get to have conversations with people that I've had lots of conversations with. And so I'm hoping we can bring some of the magic of our conversations right to the podcast here. Um, but let's start off for folks that have never heard of Tim Ellison before. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Can you introduce us? Maybe give us a scope of um, some of the some of the ways we could understand who you are over the course of your life. Feel feel free. That who who am I? I think that's a process we're always engaging in and trying to figure that out. And uh, I keep hoping that maybe someone will be able to tell me that one day because we're always in the process of becoming and the process of changing and hopefully um, being better people. But to actually say who I am, I'm 61. Um, I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather. Um, I'm a, 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 a colleague of many people, um, friends, whatnot. But um, I think, I guess I was sort of thinking of the major theme that, uh, you know, the, the reason we're having this discussion and wanting to talk about mental health issues, um, that's been very, very big in defining who I am, um, you know, mostly over the last six or seven years. And interestingly enough, uh, the whole question of uh, psychology has kind of really risen to the, to the, to the surface. Um, I've had a lot of interest in theology, a lot of interest in philosophy, and I'm sort of at the point now where I'm thinking it kind of all boils down to psychology and, and sort of that idea of our, of our, of who we are, how we navigate the world, how we negotiate our relationships and our friends. So who I am is a, that's a 
that's a big question, but it's mostly it's someone trying to understand. I guess I'm a little bit obsessed with trying to understand the big picture. And, and um, oh, my, 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 word, my word of the year right now is bewilderment. <laughs> and that basically means to be confused and perplexed. And so if you, I guess I have to, that's perfect. Thank you. That just jumped into my head. If you want me to define who I am, I'm bewildered. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm confused and perplexed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, aren't we all? And it's nice that someone's willing to admit it. And I guess as we dive into this topic, you're right. We kind of loaded you up with a question that you could take a hundred different directions and, and that might've been on purpose, but, um, what we're wondering as we get into the heart of our conversation here is why mental health became something that you had a vested interest in or what catalyst kind of got you going in the direction of wanting to know more about how the mind works or how the mind works best or however you talk about that. Yeah, it's actually quite a, it's quite a, a remarkable story. I, I wrote an essay about my experience and um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the book that was um, the story of Facebook. It's called The Accidental Billionaires, um, and I can't remember the subtitle under that. Of course, no, I'm not. I, I'm not the accidental billionaire. But I actually talked about an accident, an accidental recovery. I was in the Mission Library. This is around 2011, and there was a uh, a poster up for it was Mental Health Week actually, and they were it was an invitation to go up to the clubhouse. And there was a there was a one a, an afternoon seminar on journaling. Well, I've always been really interested in keeping a journal and understanding how journals work, and you know that whole process of of being able to how do I know what I feel unless I write it down, sort of thing. And so I went to that, and and it was really fun. It was very enjoyable, really interesting. And I thought, wow, this clubhouse is a really cool place. Um, you're familiar with the clubhouse? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Mission Mental Health Clubhouse up by Centennial Park. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there's lo- lots of different jurisdictions have have them just as a place for people that are wanting to deal with issues and a lot of times connected to addiction or or fears and that kind of thing. So I was there, and um, and then they also had a a program on art on art therapy down in the basement. They were doing art programs, and and I thought, wow, that's cool. I kind of had in the back of my mind, you know, I'm ready for a career change. Life had been quite difficult at that point. My marriage had fallen apart, and uh, I was just going through a hard time. I'd financially been very um, difficult time, the 2000, uh, the crash from 2008, 2009, and um, so lost a lot of money, a lot of property. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll go into art therapy. So I went there to go join the club, and they said, oh, you can't you can't join this club unless you uh, unless you have a, di- a letter from a doctor, a diagnosis. I said, oh, okay. So I ran down to my doctor, and I'd gone through a hard time maybe four, about eight, nine years before that, and he had prescribed some antidepressants for me at the time just to help me get through a, maybe a six-month period. So uh, he said, sure, I'll write it. So off he did, wrote me a note, and I went up and turned it in and said, here I am. I want to come to your art therapy class. And, and it was really quite funny. The first class I went to, I sat down, and the, and, I, and the girl that was running it, she just said, so, Tim, tell us your story. So I just kind of unpacked a little bit, and she says, you need help. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Well, so I, I, I went up and presented myself to Mission Mental Health. They were on uh, 7th Avenue or uh, one of those streets at the time, 6th Avenue maybe. And I went, and I just filled out a questionnaire, did some um answered some questions and the girl said well just based on what you've told me i'm pretty sure that you might have a borderline personality disorder 
And I said, oh, okay, well, that's interesting and helpful. So I took it home. And of course, I, you know, got a lot of research skills. So I went in and uh, learned just crash course in everything to do with uh, mental health. And of course, there's the what's called the, the DSM. At that time, it was a DSM-4 four, four or 5, which is the Di- Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of all types of psychosis and mental health issues. And for borderline, there's nine characteristics that you have to have exhibited within the past month, six months before that, to have been considered, you know, to get that diagnosis. And I recognized clearly eight of the nine, which was just, wow, okay, this is, wow, this person just nailed me. Fortunately, the one that I didn't, the one other one was suicidal ideation. And that wasn't something I had struggled with in the past six months or a couple of years before that. So I went back to, and then Mission Mental Health said, look, we can put you into this program called Rapid Access. You get in right away. You just, you know, learn about all of just, it's, it's a whole journey of self-discovery. Hmm. And uh, I mean, that was on uh, May 18th, 2012. And that just literally revolutionized my life. Um, we can't even, you know, again, even just talking now, it just makes me recognize how radically change things things happened after that point and and i know just one of the questions that you said i think one of the questions you'd put sent to me or we talked about was you know what about a label or what about a diagnosis or what about two things come to mind one is you know if you're running around and you're struggling and you have a disease and you keep going from doctor to doctor or place to place and they can't tell you what it's called that's not helpful but suddenly you get a name and now you can research you can find out other stories you can it's actually very helpful so i don't mind the label you know um at all i think it's 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 very important to have that so it was it was almost an empowering thing to be given um kind of a key to head in a, a trajectory that gives you all kinds of information that you started to recognize yeah, and then nice. and, yes, and and the funny and the other thing was, um, I, I wrote him this sort of little essay I put in. Like I said, it was called the accidental recovery. Um, I had said that suddenly I felt like wow. All, here I thought I had been a horrible person, but I just realized no, I wasn't bad or mean or horrible. I was just crazy, and being crazy <laughs> is far better than being a bad person. <laughs> and and of course I would ex- I would extend that out into to all of us. I mean, all of us are are on the spectrum somewhere, you know, it's just a matter of how we, how we cope with it, how we deal with it, how we live out our, our life, our, our sociality with others and spe- specifically with ourselves. And yeah, so that was just such a, I mean, easily the most dramatic thing I have to say that it happened to me in my life, being able to just come to terms with um, how devastating this, this, um, emotional disorder it was called was to myself and to many people around me and to those around me and this the inability to in a mature way deal with um life in general but i was you know how they talk about people who are high functioning addicts so they might be a, they might be an alcoholic but they manage to just kind of keep it together and they manage to not end up in prison they manage to not end up um you know out on the street or, or whatever that's kind of what I was my whole life, but there had been a lot of carnage and a lot of um, dysfunction sewn into others and into myself and all the rest of it because mm-hmm. of the lack of awareness, self-awareness of there's something just not quite right here. Yeah, I thanks for sharing that, Tim. I, I mean, this is the first time I'm hearing your story, and, and 
I'm yeah, just grateful how open you're being. I'm wondering a little bit about this uh, or accidental recovery or, or almost accidental self-awareness that you're talking about, how that's played out maybe since your initial like discovery that like, hey, there is something like there's something happening here in my mental well-being um, that could be addressed. Has it since or ha- has since that happened? Do you have uh, like signposts or things that you can see in yourself um, that kind of act as maybe like red flashing lights, like, Hey, this is something that we need to address or, or how do you, I guess, assess where you're at in your mental well-being these days, maybe even compared to how you would have done it before all of your kind of learning about how to be well. Mm. well one of the things that happened, I, I moved into Vancouver around 20, 50, 2016, maybe. And I, I got in touch again, kind of with the Vancouver Coastal Mental Health, and just said, hey, you know, I'm moving here. And I'm, I'm always open to some help and whatnot. And I got a phone call. Again, they said, we think you'd really benefit from coming to a program on dialectical behavioral therapy. It was like 20 weeks long. And it was like every Wednesday after, Wednesday morning from 9.30 to 12.30. And I was able to, you know, swing it. And so I commit, and I said, oh, I'm doing fine. You know, you don't really, you know, give it to someone who's really in trouble or something, you know, needing, but, but what that program really taught me was that it, it gave you those tools where you, it really kind of um, raised the ante in terms of self-awareness. So when you talk about the idea, when you ask the question about, you know, what do you see are the markers or think signposts or things that come along, it's that ability to stop and go, Hey, what's going on right now? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? Why, you know, you know what they talk about? Think before you talk. Like that's really that's really helpful, and, and even recognizing those feelings when some because one of the this is an example, one of the other characteristics of um, borderline is is dissociation. Are you familiar with dissociation and the mm-hmm. idea? Often it's people that have been in some really traumatic situations where they just literally float above the room as if they're not even there because what's happening to them is so horrendously violating or that kind of thing. And I, I, I mean, I was very capable of dissociating. So I would just literally cut myself off from people. I would even walk out. Of, I could just walk out of a restaurant being with people and just disappear. And they wouldn't know what happened to me because I was just, I had no, I, I just had to do it. I don't know why I did it, but I used to do that and just walk away from people. And then I'd come back and ha ha, here I am and never process it at all. And then I got the word, I, dissociation actually exists. And those feelings still come from time to time because borderline isn't, it's not like you're cured of it. It's just that you learn to live with it and you learn to be able to cope, coping mechanisms. So I can catch myself where someone says something that is triggering and I go, oh yeah, okay. The old me would just do something stupid, like walk away or just disappear. Now I just go, okay, well that's, I'll have to process that or think about it. And, you know, and the people around me, they have no idea that that that, that whole process just went on in my, uh, you know, in my thoughts and my feelings. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess it's like maybe you get faster at processing some of those things over time because it's like, oh, here's another example of something I've I've already been down this road and so I have kind of some of the sense of of how to go about unpacking what just happened because it's familiar. Is that a fair way to describe it? Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And and even in that one of the other um treatments for this is 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 mindfulness practice Mm. i mean man how many of us need help with that just being able to actually be in the moment listen to what other people are saying not 
not listening to you and then formulating my next question or you know it, it's just it's a very it's a very challenging thing to do just that that whole slow you know yeah yeah well i was gonna say as i was listening to you i was formulating another question so yeah me yeah. too <laughs> No, but that's kind of uh, hopefully what we're doing here. But um, I hear your point. It's to say, like, are you present to someone or are you using them? Are you using them in a sense to be a sounding board for your own agenda? And yeah, that's uh, that is a challenging thing. I I would love to ask Tim, what is it like for you talking about this? Mm. Is this like, are you like, is your heart beating? Are you like, oh, this is so vulnerable? Or I guess what's what's the journey been in kind of sharing and being open about your mental health? Yeah, actually, it's funny. It's interesting because like after I read your notes and stuff and or the questions you were going to ask me that, and I kind of thought, oh boy, that just, you know, just kind of reminded me and, and I need to be reminded of this, but I actually find it very empowering. And it's, what's interesting is around, um, I can't remember what year it was, maybe just a couple of years after the diagnosis. And I was very open with my kids about it. Um, my son Thomas was going to uh, Fraser Valley University or college at the time. And he wrote a paper about me, kind of did a little interview too, because it was one of his courses. And, and he was just, he was really, um, I think, inspired by my willingness to come out and be open and honest about it. And yeah, it's funny how you think of, yeah, I mean, you think of mental health because it's, it, it's, in the past, it's just kind of been hidden. And especially, of course, growing up in the Christian tradition, you can just pray away everything. Like, you don't need to... Therapy was considered taboo and or going on pills or taking medication. Like, if you're not, if you're not trusting Jesus to heal everything, you're just, you're just living in sin, brother. You know, that was kind of the, that was kind of the culture I grew up in. And, um, and all, you know, just, you don't talk, well, don't talk about it. And, and again, one of the mental health uh, practitioners talks about don't think, don't feel, don't talk. Those are the three dysfunctional um, things that happen within dysfunctional families. You know, um, rule number one is don't talk about your feelings. Rule number two is don't talk about the existence or non-existence of rule number one. <laughs> and I grew that, and that, you know, I kind of grew up in that whole family, that family situation. And again, back to kind of that question of nature versus nurture. I certainly have to say, for me, it was very much um, nurture. You know, um, and, and again, you get into you can get into a lot of really interesting dynamics within mental health and within psychology. So, if you've seen any of the family, um, you know, they, they they have you do a, a sort of a family ancestry. Uh, unpack some of the stories and, and and some of them it's just it's mind-boggling and just horrendous you know and, and, and everybody has those kind of skeletons in the closet but these things are passed on and they kind of just you know continue to roll on with with families so so i yeah i mean again talking about it it makes me think of just i just devoured so much material and there was so much out there at the time and there still is i mean i still listen to i still listen to youtube podcasts or videos or conversations about people talking about PTSD, talking about trauma, talking about dealing with shame. Um, there was a, a very good public broadcasting series a number of years ago by a guy named John Bradshaw. He was on the on on uh, public television. On he had a whole book on healing the shame that binds you. And in fact, a group in the U.S. is just starting up a a, a book club around that book. And it was you know probably published 25, 30 years ago. I mean, shame is a huge issue. And and that was certainly something I felt a tremendous amount of growing up. And that would be this, 
that whole dissociation piece. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I felt put down or I felt less than. And so that's why I could probably just disappear. Now, I mean, yeah, that's certainly been healed. And I have no, like, call me crazy. That's a compliment <laughs> to me. You know, honestly, there's no, um, I, I, yeah, I just, I preach it from the, from the rooftops. Mm. Um, you know, I, and that's because that's I'm living in that piece of nothing to lose, nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to protect. Mm. So um, have at it type thing, you know. Or as I like to say to my wife, I say, come on, see if I've got any buttons left. Just give me your best shot. <laughs> if there's anything that can put me off or knock me off my little pedestal. Well, Tim, I really appreciate getting into the nitty gritty of nature and nurture. And I'd love to talk for a minute about how we can compare sort of the natural maturation process of individuation, you know, becoming your own person, becoming comfortable in your own skin and a mental health journey. And I recognize there's all kinds of parallels where they probably weave together. But I'm wondering, like, is, is there a sense that your experience with borderline personality disorder, I'm getting that right, right? Yeah, is, is a bit different than someone who is moving beyond sort of a childlike view of themselves, or maybe a bit of that childlike narcissism toward uh, a healthier understanding of what it means to be kind of a productive person in society. That's not the same thing or like, how do those two things fit together where not everyone necessarily will have um, a diagnosis in in mental health, but everybody will have um, some of the steps that we need to take, whether we have a diagnosis or not to become more, I guess, internally, intact um internally aware like i'd love just to hear the if you have any thoughts on the difference between some of that natural maturation process versus like um the diagnosis that you're describing Hmm. that's a good question um trying to i I think and i I don't know whether i'm going to answer it properly but just to kind of think ahead is the idea of as you become more whole as you become and I, I, I like the, inter- the way you use the word individuated, but at the same time, and particularly the circles and the areas, and they talk about the word interdividual. And that was a neologism that was coined by uh, René Girard. And it's the idea that Tim Ellison does not exist. as an, I, I only exist in the web of relationships and the web of connections that are there in the world. Greg Elford doesn't exist. Greg is a connection, is known in and through the connections of the people he's related to. And so all of us are socially related. We are all connected to one another through this, this inter, um, interdividual. So we're both individuals, but we're also interconnected with one another. And so, so all, you know, and this is why I have huge issues with the monastic movement. Well, no, at least, I guess, well, maybe not the monastics, maybe the hermits, sorry. The monastics, at least, they're still living together in community and they're connecting with each other, but kind of maybe disconnected from society a bit. So there's this sense in which as you become more whole, as you become more capable of living as an adult in this world, then you become much more capable of, of giving and sharing. And so, you know, again, just kind of the, the idea, my idea of evangelism, like when I use that word, because I was always inter- I've always been interested in that from a, in a, within the Christian worldview perspective, and and it's basically this: it's I want to invite people to follow the example of Jesus and throw their life away in the service of others. 
So the whole point is, how can I take what I've got and serve others? How can I give to others without any interest whatsoever in a return? Because that's the kind of way I think that Jesus was in the world. And it, and it moves so much away from all of my eight years of theological speculation, which was so heavily sophistry and reason and trying to understand and, and just actually being really practical. What can I do to heal the world with with those around me and near to me and close to me and and change the world that way, you know, one one starfish at a time, if you if you know that metaphor. What I was driving at with that last question is how much like when does somebody need to go to the clubhouse and when does somebody need to grow up, you know? Or is going to the clubhouse how people need to grow up? Does everybody need to go to the clubhouse? Well, I I think I think the the issue, the thing is is that everybody needs to be in relationships where there's the potential for healing of our of our damaged selves and and you know everybody's damaged because even being born into this world is a traumatic experience you know being separate you know and if you, if you read anything on trauma it's just life is trauma and um, and it's the ability and the way of living through it. And maybe just quickly, if I could just, you know, I, I, I think you, you, well, you know, Greg, the story, I, I got a cancer diagnosis a year ago, actually June of um, 2020. And there was three weeks where I was, I had to get uh, MRI, get tested and all of that. And I had no idea whether I had six weeks, six months, six years. It was just a period of just waiting because they had to, you know, they had, they'd done a colonoscopy. They said, we, we found a very large tumor. We want to find out if it spread to the rest of you. And, it was interesting because at that point, my mental health stuff really kicked in. Like it was just this sense of um, being willing to able to accept this, being able to just not let my emotions take control and that ability to be able to find people that, you know, are going to offer a caring, uh, you know, just be there for you type. Thing. So maybe then just to even start wrapping this up a little bit here, Tim, I'm wondering uh, if you could speak a little bit to the, maybe the practicality of holding intention, this idea of, of needing to pursue, you know, mental health, well-being, wellness, and pursuing relationships that bring healing. And then this other kind of nugget that you mentioned, which is kind of having uh, a bit of a gospel focus or, or whatever you'd want to call that, but this idea that um, our lives are, are also meant to serve others and love others. What's maybe a practical way that these all come together? Maybe maybe a way that you've experienced it or a way that you would encourage others to kind of hold all of these things together in a real way. I have no idea. Good. All right, and we'll end it here. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, That that's, I mean, it, it's trying to have... I recognize this, like I'm just with help talking to someone right now about um, they're questioning about their career and things they want to do and what they want to do. And, I, and I'm sort of like, well, hey, get it, get a life coach or find someone that, you know, that does some coaching. And that. So it really is about technically like submitting our lives to those that we love and care for around us and, and, and others to, to scrutiny and, and, you know, help me be able to 
be more loving, be more giving, be more able to heal the world. And, um, you know, I'm kind of in the enviable position right now where we're kind of at the point where, you know, kind of close to semi-retirement. Well, what, what could I do? You know, what can I use those extra hours or those extra time in the day? And it's certainly not going to be going out to golf or do something like that. As they say, you know, everybody needs to go out and drill a couple wells somewhere where there's no water. And um, so I want, you know, I'm, I'm actively thinking about that question of ways in which we can help others. Um, and, you know, at, at the same time, it's, a, I've got, I've got two lovely grandchildren now 10 minutes away from me. So that's pretty, that's a, that's a huge draw, but you know, I, I, I want to go beyond loving those who love me and, you know, that whole trajectory of loving your enemies or loving your neighbor or finding ways to care about those. So yeah, I'm, I'm open to trying to find ways to do it, but yeah, it's uh it's not apparent and really jumping out at me at this point. Well, maybe just in, in my thank you here for being here with us, which I want to express that sincerely, really grateful that you'd take the time and be so candid and be so Tim. We really appreciate that. But um, just, just a thought that the way that you, you speak about this and the way that you layer some of the other experiences in life and some of the things you've learned might be something that has uh, some space in retirement. So maybe uh, maybe that book needs to get written, uh, or or maybe it's just in one-on-one conversations, which I know you do all the time. So thrilled you were with us, Tim. Any any closing thought from your perspective, or how how are we doing? No, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate it. And again, you know, I'm probably a verbal processor. So just being able to talk about some of the stuff and bring it back up, it just kind of reiterates how important it is. And, and I, and I kind of thought, yeah, I don't have to think about the questions a lot. It's, it's something that's very, it's always kind of there at the surface and it just keeps, makes me want to keep pressing in and encouraging those around me to keep pressing in to, uh, um, really learn what it means to, uh, to, to, to feel good because <laughs> in the end that's what, that's what mental health is about it's about our feelings you know and helping others feel good so well that sounds sounds like a, a worthy vocation in retirement helping others feel good <laughs> all right thanks again Next, the re-podcast turns to a trusted voice in the First Nation community in our city. Donna is a longtime friend who has learned to blend her Indigenous culture with a vibrant faith and ongoing practice. Donna can consistently be found sitting with people and listening to them, offering wisdom and kindness. We are grateful to sit with her as she has done the same for us. Well, hello, Donna. It is great to have you here. You're a new friend of mine. I met you a couple weeks ago, but I am honored that you're here today and excited to um, maybe just learn from a bit of your wisdom and experience. So to kick things off, Donna, we'd love to hear from you, how you introduce yourself these days, what's uh, coming to the front of your mind as things that you're holding most dear, things that you think are worth mentioning to our listeners to get to know you? Um, well, uh, 
I'm a, I always say I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. <laughs> um, I work in Mission BC as a community health worker at the Mission Friendship Center Society. I work with Indigenous people. Um, I was born Métis, which, um, which I'm Creole-Jibwe, uh, French and Scottish. Uh, and um, I'm a grandmother <laughs> and a great-grandmother. I have three daughters. Uh, one, the youngest, didn't grow my tummy, but she grew my heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had her since uh, she was little. And, um, and I have two older daughters. And I had a son. I lost him um, back in 2003. Um, he went to be with the Lord. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so I, I have been a part of mission for, um, 37 years. I moved here when my son was, uh, a month old and my girls were, uh, four and five. And, um, yeah, I've, I've been here ever since. I moved away for a year here and there, but mission always draws me back. Well, Donna, we uh, we have a, a long history where we've known each other over the years, and in particular, a common friend in Pat Steele. And some of our listeners will remember her. Um, and so, I was thrilled that you would uh, take some time to talk to us today. And uh, always, I always enjoy our conversations. And when we decided to do a month where we're looking at wellness and holistic wellness. I've heard lots of times uh, that you have a take on the medicine wheel that's a really helpful way to help people understand what it's about. And in particular, I know that you have found it a useful tool in the way you think about your faith as well. Um, Before we get into that, though, I would love to hear a little bit more about your life, like your early life, whether you would describe life so far as as a cakewalk uh, I'm guessing that that's probably not the terminology you'd use, but um, I'd love to hear how you tell kind of a brief story of some of the things that have been big moments in your life, uh, good and bad. Well, I was born in a little French town in Manitoba called St. Rose de Lac, and um, my my mother was also born there, and my father was born in um, Eddystone. And uh, and he moved there. They grew up together, my mom and dad. <laughs> and uh, they used to go to school together, and they used to have these kind of little st- tin pails, and she used to hit them on the head with it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they got older, and they fell in love, and um, then they had me, <laughs> and then they had my sister. And um, then they... Um, when my sister was a month old, and they were both raised in um, Catholic day school. And, um, um, well, they were raised with their parents, but they went to Catholic day school. And so in that, there came a lot of shame. My mother was ashamed uh, a lot, and she, she uh, lost my sister at a month old. And uh, they separated. Yeah. And then she, um, um, 
Uh, yeah, because my grandfather had passed away, and uh, she went to the funeral and left um, my, me and my sister with uh, one of uh, the elders, and uh, my sister got pneumonia and passed away, so the Catholic priest told her that um, she told her that she um, that it was her fault that if she hadn't went to that funeral, her baby wouldn't have died. And, um, yeah, and so that loss separated the both of them. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that mm -hmm. some of those traumas that your parents lived through must have had an impact on how they were as parents. And, mm -hmm. you know, we know parents do the best with what they can. Mm -hmm. how, how did that, how, like, whether that would be what you'd point to as things in your own experience mm -hmm. but tell us a bit about how you would describe uh, growing up years for you. I left home when I was 13 and I moved up north and uh, and I uh, met my daughters my two older daughters dad and in Smithers and had my daughters and he was indigenous and I would go on to his reserve, and they would call me white trash, and in town they'd call me squaw. <laughs> I, I grew up also in, um, when I was growing up in school in Revelstoke, because I grew up in Revelstoke for a few years. And, uh, you know, I'd be persecuted being called um, wagon burner and Paiute. And so I didn't really know who Donna was. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. sounds like there was a mixture of identities that were embraced at different times and then almost told to be rejected at other times. What has it been like for you or what has your journey been like to embrace this indigenous identity that is unique to you, kind of in tension with some of these other factors of life that you've experienced? What has that been like? So at 24, um, I was pretty enthralled in my addictions, and I had my first drink when I was nine. Oh, I, I can't say that. I had my first drink when I was four. I had these uncles that um, got me and my uh, cousin drunk on wine, and my mother came home, and she was infuriated. Um, uh, so I would say that's the first time I ever had alcohol. And then nine, I was stealing it out of fridges. And, and um, yeah. And then at, 20, at uh, 24, I started, uh, I asked Christ into my life. I come to, I just wanted some normalcy. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I just want some normalcy, you know. And uh, I come to know Christ at 24. And, uh, yeah, and then at 35, I completely sustained from drugs and alcohol. And, um, yeah, and I was six and a half years sober when I lost my son. But I thought the best way that I would ever honor him is, is stay sober. Because wow. he loved his mother's sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it really really appreciate that you would share some of those moments because I'm sure there's a lot we could talk about in each of those moments and 
hopefully we will have that chance some. Um, I, uh, knowing you and having a bit of conversation before this, I'd love if you would share a bit with our listeners how in that process of shifting from what sounds like was a pretty chaotic time of life and this coming to Jesus moment and um, in particular kind of embracing some of the aspects of your indigenous identity, how, how does the medicine wheel kind of connect to that part of the story or maybe a, a place to start if you'd rather is like what is the medicine wheel for folks that have never heard of it is it something to to kind of be leery of or is it like what what is it uh so the medicine wheel is like um it's it's kind of like uh the cycle of like life it's kind of uh i didn't get into um my culture until I went to a art therapist um, and I drew a picture with my non-domineering hand and there was uh, this um, warrior that I had drawn with my non-domineering hand crying and she said, oh Donna, what's that about? And I said, oh, that's um, that's my warrior. Um, um, that's not being let out <laughs> yeah and um and I think that's when my healing started with um that uh rejection of self identity being indigenous and uh yeah and then I started to embrace my indigenous side and I guess I was always looking for that when I met my daughter's dad who was indigenous and my son's dad who was indigenous and um, and it was a part of me that I needed to embrace in myself. Well, I know in our previous conversation you had mentioned that learn sitting with the elders at the Friendship Center here has been a way where the medicine wheel is, has new significance to you. And I'm looking at, I'm, I really appreciate mm-hmm. you brought a, a paper that sort of, mm-hmm. um, that there's an actual picture I'm looking at with a, with a, a white, yellow, red, and black circle. And sort of to the north is a white quadrant, and to the east is a yellow, and to the south is a red quadrant, and to the west is a black quadrant. Is there a significance to the colors, or how... Uh, how do we understand what we're looking at here? Well, the East um, means birth. It's about the physical. Mm. Um, they always say if that ego makes a sacred hoop in the sky, we can go on another day. Mm. Um, the medicine in that doorway is sweet grass. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's sun. Uh, new begi- beginnings, vision, um, and that's where illumination. Right? It's about an illumination, and and so uh, new birth could be about anything, you know. It could be birthing a new idea, or birthing, um, um, like when you see the all the new flowers that come up and <laughs> yeah it's just about new birth mm. yeah there's lots that comes with the east the, and the east is yellow mm-hmm. just like the sun 
and uh, and these are my teachings because everybody in in different communities have have different um, uh, ways their colors are. Mm -hmm. And uh, my traditional name is uh, Bawagi Benizi Kwe, Purple Thunderbird Woman, mm. which was um, brought out um, into the natural realm by um, my, um, my elders uh, and my one elder, Frank Satie, who was from Manitoba. Um, 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 brought my name out, and uh, we did ceremony around that. And uh, one thing I do know about ceremony, it can't be rushed. Mm. <laughs> you know, nothing like even just doing this, what we're doing here in this uh, podcast is a ceremony. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, so let's go on to the south, which is the red. And the red is our indigenous brothers and sisters. The east is uh, about our, indig our Asian. So the south is about our um, indigenous brothers and sisters. And that's about child, child that's about youth, emotional. And uh, the medicine there is sage. And, um, and uh, so that's about summer. Um, and the South is where I learned to have a relationship with, um, with God, Creator, mm. uh, where I have a relationship with myself, that person looking back in the mirror at me, um, that's, um, and that relationship with my children, mm. and then my community, and then globally. So there's a real family aspect to the South, is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, those are just some of the meetings. This took me a lifelong <laughs> learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so the West is black, and supposed to be our African brother, represents our African brothers and sisters. And um, that's the doorway of the adult. That's the mental. So where we, we take care of our mental, um, and that's cedar, um, and healing and introspective, um, and that's fall and sundown. Mm -hmm. And then we have our north, which is white, mm -hmm. and they talk about um, um, the white buffalo calf. And if you're noticing now in this cycle of life that we're starting to see albino um, animals like white ravens or, <laughs> you know, uh, I was watching the news the other day and they had a, uh, I think it was a white um, raccoon, mm. you know, so that that's... Um, that's that's the elder doorway, the north, and um, that's about that's that's about spirit, fire, um, and in that doorway we use lavender, um, and that that doorway is winter, and that's for our Caucasian brothers and sisters, and that's the wisdom, and um, that's the storytelling, and that's the doorway. You know where the, you know where, um, 
our pipe carriers and um, and and there's just so much to the medicine wheel and and that's the doorway where we give back everything we know as elders we give back to our 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 young ones and um, I guess it's kind of like uh, ma um, uh, Erickson's lifeline mm -hmm. <laughs> we start to give back we give back everything we have we share all our our uh, all all our heart teachings with the younger ones mm -hmm. and we support them and we stand in their danger mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, and so it's kind of like a cycle of life. Um, and I always say, you know, and I've heard it this way, that wisdom is about applied knowledge. And uh, so, so we start giving back. And, um, you know, we say, because everything's always done in circles. Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, we have to go back and do it again. <laughs> sometimes life is... Is uh, a recycle, <laughs> mm. and uh, yeah, so we go hi hi all my relations, and those four directions are are and the the four nations, the four primary nations, because we're all kind of mixed up, <laughs> you know. But those are the four primary nations, and we are all children of this planet and and so the medicine teaches us that we're all connected and that we're all one we're all one um, children to this mother that we we walk upon and she's very much alive because um, God made everything living mm -hmm. okay? everything's living and alive even when we pass from this world to the next there's, we'll, we'll be alive, we're energy, we're light. And, um, and, uh, and I was kind of sharing uh, with Greg that when my son had passed away and I was getting ready for work and I was curling my hair in a mirror and, um, and, um, uh, it was like light started coming out of all my senses, and my son had been passed away about seven months, and um, and I was in a lot of emotional pain at that time for from his loss, and um, and it was like all this light was coming out of me, and I got up and I went to go upstairs. I was like I couldn't. I was like, what is going on with me? Like what? I, I was kind of freaked out, really. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, as soon as I got fearful, the light dissipated. But I felt like I was going to be uh, raptured into a different realm. And uh, so nobody can tell me that we're not spiritual beings having a human experience. But there's so much to the, the medicine wheel, so much teachings. And I sat in to a sweat lodge community where I met God. <laughs> Hmm. You know, God was always in my heart, and but just not in in church form. <laughs> I guess um, I guess my new church became a sweat lodge where I uh, started to heal and started to um, started to really do some introspection and take a look inside. You know, and another thing, when I went back to school. 
Um, I walked in that classroom and I was kind of uh, struggling a bit with learning. And uh, before all that, it was like God told me to heal myself. He said, physician, heal thyself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's where it all began for me. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just start giving back. Uh, yeah. Giving back. And I think yeah, it, it, there's so much in-depthness to, uh, you know, I had to really take a look at why I was doing what I was doing, um, you know, what brought me to this in life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know that God had his hand on my life from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, I've uh, walked in all different kinds of uh, ways, um, but learned to embrace all that and... Um, and being grateful and to actually come to a place that I see myself through uh, through my my savior's eyes, my king's eyes, my champion, my warrior's eyes. I know. I would love. Sorry to interrupt, but I uh, would hate if we finish our conversation and and we don't talk about what you were taught when you were nine that came back to you kind of you said I think within the last five years just something that mm-hmm. must have had an impact at an early age yeah. would you be open to sharing that yeah yeah so um when I was nine um a little bit more of uh, my childhood I landed in um uh, an orphanage me and my sisters and brothers uh, because of the drinking and the abuse that was going on in our house at that time. And we were all separated in different uh, compartments. And um, so from there we went into foster care. And then my mother fought like heck to get us back, which I'm really proud of her. <laughs> and um, and uh, so... I think she had gotten us back, but she started the the drinking started again and and stuff. So we used to just kind of wander around and uh, and this one friend of mine says, "Come to my come to my um, to my house. There's a lady that lives upstairs." Hey, eh? and it was kind of a dysfunctional home too. <laughs> you know, I went into this and there was like. I thought, wow, this is worse than my house. <laughs> you know, there's beer bottles and everything all over the place. And then we went to the very top of the stairs, and we went to this lady's room, and it was, like, spotless, clean. And she started teaching me about the colors of the medicine wheel. And she said, the yellow is for... Um, the yellow is for the birth of Christ... And the red is for the blood he shed for our sins. And um, the black is where he went for three days and got the keys of the kingdom for us. And uh, the white is where he redeemed us from destruction, (laughs) that he was raised. And um, I forgot all about that when I started doing the medicine will, and then all of a sudden... It came back to me. 
Amazing. Yeah, it came back to me uh, years and years later. So I know that, um, you know, my life has always been taken care of. Well, I I feel like I'm probably in the East uh, as far as my understanding of the medicine wheel. Like, it's kind of a new way of thinking about things. And um, what, I, what I'm wondering is, is it fair to say that there, you can be in different sides of the medicine wheel all at the same time in different areas? Oh, absolutely. Are mm. you... Yeah, you cannot have, it's all uh, aspect of, uh, you know, where it's just all working towards balance. No one's completely balanced, I don't think, you know. Um, I think we're always, as long as we're here, we're learning and we're growing. Mm-hmm. And and we're, you know, it's like, it's like anything in life, like, like when I'm feeling off balance with my family or feeling off balance with my relationship with with um, Creator God, you know, um, then I just go and kind of do some introspection in that that south, that in in the south, and you know, uh, well, the west is more. And and I get to share a little bit about animals because people always think that we worship animals, mm-hmm. and we don't. <laughs> we don't worship animals. We learn from them. Like anything that happens, I I have no regrets of ever learning anything about medicine wheel, because um, you know that that eagle teaches us he he flies the highest he flies close to creator and you know even in our our uh, good book it talks about you know mount you on wings of eagles and um you know and and we believe that that eagle uh you know they say that the two-leggeds and the four-leggeds take away our pain and that eagle is about freedom and about uh he oversees everything you know, so he teaches us to oversee, and uh, so when that eagle shows up, it, it brings us hope. And and in the south, um, in my belief, in my teachings, um, is that little jumping mouse. And that little jumping mouse, she teaches us about courage. You know, she runs and takes care of her family and all these all these big eagles and <laughs> and hawks are, you know, she's got to watch out for these things to feed her, her little ones and, you know, other animals and other four-leggeds. So, so she teaches us to be, um, to, to persevere and have courage. And that uh, coyote teaches us, he's a little bit of a trickster, eh? and he's kind of youthful. So, you know, like the teenager I used to, my son used to jump outside the door and uh, out behind the door and scare me. <laughs> he go, boom! <laughs> it's kind of like that, eh? <laughs> a little bit of a trickster. And uh, so it teaches us to, to have lightheartedness, levity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to be lighthearted, to enjoy life. Yeah. And then uh, in the West is our bear. And um, we say, um, you know, so that bear teaches us about introspection. You know, how he goes in and um, he, he comes out in this, 
in the spring and he you know he he goes about his business and um, you know uh, enjoys the berries and stuff and then when 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 fall comes then he goes in and he hibernates and he hibernates so he does introspection so that bear teaches us about introspection about taking a flashlight and and looking inside and you know take just um, checking out our motives and our actions and our behaviors and our patterns you know but we don't stay there right mm-hmm. we don't stay there we got to come out again in the spring <laughs> not that long mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway so that's what that bear teaches us and that doorways that that west doorway is all about healing it's about praying for my uh, brothers and sisters on, of this planet, um, and it's about it's about ceremony, and we do a lot of ceremony to to teach us discipline in life, mm-hmm. to teach us, um, you know, to to walk in a good way, and uh, you know they say we come in, we're born into the east, and we leave in the west. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so and and um, so there's so much to be said about that doorway, and that's that's the doorway where we learn to uh, about all ceremony. You know, and there's many kinds of ceremony. Um, there's uh, sacred circles where we take the feather and. Um, and we pass it around and let everybody have their say what's going on in their hearts and their minds and we pass that feather and no one's supposed to talk through that healing circle right and, uh, and then we have our sweat lodge in my teachings and that's where uh, we go in and and we pray and we pray for healing for others and um, that we all walk in a good way and, and then we come over to the to the north, and uh, that's that white buffalo calf, or they say white buffalo calf woman. And I always believe Jesus came as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a little story around that too, that white buffalo calf woman, because these two guys they were they were um, they looked upon her, and one looked upon her with lust, and he disintegrated. And because she was bringing, she was bringing the the the, the ceremonies and the teachings to the people. And but the other fellow, he looked at her, and he got scared, and he ran. <laughs> and she says, "Hey, you know," she called him back, and uh, she says, "You go tell your 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 community that I'm coming to teach them." Um, ceremony and uh, bring some tools for them because she brought them the pipe Mm. (laughs) and so the peace pipe (laughs) Mm. so yeah so she went to the there and gave him but yeah (laughs) so there's a little story around white buffalo calf woman and the white buffalo I love the way you took us around the medicine wheel and just hear all these connections between, like you said, lessons from the natural world that uh, are hints at seasons in our lives that we face. And 
I in particular love the way that you combine um, some of those lessons with a really vibrant faith. And uh, I'm just so grateful that you'd take time to be here with us, Donna, and, uh, and to share pieces of your story. And I know our listeners will be too. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our very supportive church community, New Heights Church. Thank you to our silent sponsor and our friends, Tim and Donna, for their patience with us and their willingness to be so candid on the podcast. This is episode 20 of The Read Podcast and the final recording of 2021. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all those listening. We look forward to more rewords in 2022.